0: Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Before we get started today, I'd like to say something that I usually say at the end of the episodes, but I'd like to say here at the beginning. If you enjoy this program, the interviews I do, and the chronological historical narrative episodes, please consider giving us a rating and review or making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash history of California. Let's continue with our series on politics in California in the 1850s. This episode and the following are the last two episodes on this section of politics in California in the 1850s. While there are many ways that we can look and analyze political systems, political culture, politics, and society, I've chosen to focus on political parties as our analytical tool for a few different reasons. One, source material. Political speeches, legislation, and newspaper articles that focused on political activities and events give us a deep and comprehensive picture of society. Second, it's also a way to connect the local to the regional and the regional to the national and the national to the global, which we've seen in many episodes in this series. And finally, it's just a personal interest to me in understanding how these political parties worked within a more convoluted and complex society that existed on the kind of frontier, but also in an urban and vastly growing society that is California in the 1850s. So I just wanted to put that disclaimer at the top here. Uh, to, provide a little context as to why I've chosen this particular approach to look at California in this time period. Now let's start by talking about the Whigs, who they are, what they believed, and their role in California's history. Let's start by giving some parameters. Sometimes political parties show up for specific situations or in specific historical moments, tapping into a certain milieu, for example, or kind of an overall zeitgeist in society. Sometimes political parties adapt and change, but not all parties that exist, particularly in the United States, are as protean as that. And when they are unable to evolve and adapt, they often falter and lose relevance. In the case of the Whig Party, it emerged in the 1830s and disappeared in the 1850s and was effectively replaced by the Republican Party. To quickly review, two political parties emerged during the years after the founding of the United States, the Federalist Party, and then in response to them, the Democratic-Republicans. John Adams was the last representative of the Federalist Party to hold the presidency, and his administration marked the end of their relevance on the national political scene. The Democratic-Republicans followed Jefferson's presidential victory, would ultimately hold the office for many, many years, and would have dominance throughout the political system. That unopposed reign of Democratic Republicans came to an end with the election and policies of Andrew Jackson. Both bombastic and violent, Jackson brought a brash new force to the White House and proceeded with controversial policies and approaches to sectional issues with an inflamed ingression that had been unseen in national politics up until this point. Through his opposition to institutions like a national bank for example, and sectional issues like nullification in the South, Jackson made enemies in all sorts of places. These enemies ultimately gathered together and formed a coalition around the idea that the national government should continue to work on big improvement projects and support industries through protective tariffs. Since there was no clear defining party platform, the Whigs would always be loosely aligned, driven to each other by convenience, but also oppositions to the policies of the other party. Aside from the successful election of William Henry Harrison and a few other accomplishments, the Whigs suffered from the same challenges that plagued the Democratic Party that we covered in the previous episodes, which was, of course, sectionalism. In similar ways to the other party, the Democratic Party, the alignment around opposition eased which gave way to the internal oppositions that were extant in that particular party. In the late 1840s, the party started to divide into conscience Whigs, representing the northern part of the United States, which is effectively the anti-slavery wing, and the cotton Whigs, representing the southern, slavery-supporting wing of the party. Now, the Whigs were present in California from ultimately the beginning, organizing conventions in the early 1850s. However, their ultimate influence was minimal, serving, as it seems, from the sparse source material as a foil to the larger, much more organized, and much more successful uh, wing of the Democratic Party. We certainly could spend some time here discussing the details and minutia of Whig politics in California. But some of that is just the nitty-gritty details that are less interesting today and ultimately less important for our purposes here, which is covering the Republican emergence in California. Now, before we get into that, let's do a quick review of the basics of the emergence of the Republican Party so we can understand how it emerged and why. There are a few key movements and events that led to its development. First, The Second Great Awakening led to a proliferation of volunteer associations across the northern states. For those who don't remember, there was a First Great Awakening that took place before the United States was founded, and a Second Great Awakening that led people to create volunteer associations like the Temperance Movement, which fought alcohol consumption and the corresponding addiction that was common in that time. Another association that emerged because of the Second Great Awakening was one led by William Lloyd Garrison, which was called the American Anti-Slavery Association. Garrison dedicated his life to the abolition of slavery and used the association to promulgate and share and push for these particular ideas. Another major development that led to the emergence of the Republican Party was the land reform movement, which sought to spread small farms across the West— Following the Panic of 1837, land prices fluctuated dramatically, and the government ultimately got involved with land distribution and sales. Southern slave interests saw this as a way for anti-slavery contingents to incorporate more land into the realm of free labor, and ultimately saw it as a threat. Now, In addition to these larger movements, there were specific events. Many of them we've discussed before, the Missouri Compromise, the Compromise of 1850, the Kansas-Nebraska Act, Fugitive Slave Law, etc. The Kansas-Nebraska Act, however, would be the final straw that would ultimately lead to the creation of the Republican Party and a realignment of the political party landscape in the United States. Before this, the two major political parties had northern and southern wings, which were aligned on some issues but then advocated for their I want to call it regionally specific issues. After this, political parties would be divided by geography and labor. The first major event of the Republican Party was a convention or meeting in Ripon, Wisconsin, where they invoked the crisis, being the crisis of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, as an impetus for the creation of a new political party to address this, I want to call it smoldering fire at the heart of American society and government. The name Republican was meant to hearken back to the Revolution, the American Revolution, and an attempt to place the new members of this political party on the side of liberty as opposed to slavery. Following their first convention, the Republican growth was exponential. They went from holding zero governorships in 1854 to 11 out of the 35 slots by 1857, nearly a third of all offices. There were both push and pull factors ultimately that drew people in, economic anxiety, regional resentments, grassroots organizing, the larger events that were pulling people into one side or the other along the slavery issue, and more. Our old friend John C. Fremont ran as the first Republican candidate for president in 1856 with a platform of an increasingly activist and powerful central government. The Republican position was that the federal government should determine laws and policies first and have primary importance in that before states or regions. In addition to banning slavery, the platform also called for banning of polygamy, a practice of Mormons who could not be more opposed to the idea of a powerful national government. The failure, ultimately of Fremont, who lost the election, led Republicans to refocus and change their platform from the 1856 platform by withdrawing things like polygamy and focusing primarily around the issue of slavery. Now, the development of the Republican Party in California was slow at first, but then picked up pace with the start of the Civil War. In fact, the Republican Party took a while to actually arrive in California. It arrived two years later after the original convention in Ripon, Wisconsin, uh, but after it had already reached most of the northern states. The first formal meeting of the Republican Party was held in March of 1856. The meeting was organized by Cornelius Cole, which is a wonderful name. Cole was born in Lodi, New York, in 1822 to David and Rachel Cole. He attended Wesleyan University before beginning to practice law in 1847 and 1848. He moved to California the next year in 1849 and practiced law in San Francisco before relocating to Sacramento. He would eventually become the district attorney, a congressman, and finally a senator in California. The meeting Cole organized included many of the current and later influential citizens of California. Their purpose, declared by those who was in attendance, was to oppose the aggressions of slavery into western states. This meeting was ultimately followed by a statewide convention. While there was violence threatened by members of the Democratic Party, specifically the Shiv Wing, ultimately it was a peaceful convention. After the convention, the incipient California Republicans began to organize more publicly, particularly after John C. Fremont was re- nominated as the Republican candidate for president. They, the 350 members who showed up to the convention, chose as their chant for the Republican Party of California. Freedom Fremont, and Railroad, which starts with an idea, then a person, and then a thing. I've been trying to come up with a third F for this to complete the alliteration, and the best I could come up with would be Frontier. If you have something better in mind, please let me know. In spite of the growing fervor and movement in California on the political domain, in terms of demographics, it was still fairly low. In 1856, Fremont who was as popular as they come in the state that he helped to conquer, only garnered 19% of the vote in California, which seemed both low and emblematic of the lack of institutional support and the near complete control of the Democratic Party in California. Following their lack of success, the Republicans nominated someone that might be a bit more palatable to the pro-slavery contingent in California, Edward Stanley who was both an ex-Whig but also a slave-owning Southerner. Nonetheless, Stanley's associations with the party that was diametrically opposed to the slavery agenda was too much to overcome. He was sullied and castigated by Democratic newspapers, which used every racial slur that they could find to taint Stanley. The successful Democratic candidate for governor was John Weller, who was both pro-slavery and separatist believing that California should be a separate republic and would initiate that process if the union came unglued. After that failure, more capable Republican leaders began to get involved, two of the most famous and influential being Leland Stanford and Edward Baker. Originally from New York, like Cole, Stanford operated a general store in Sacramento, He used his legal training and business savvy to buy out his brother's interest in mines and accumulated a vast fortune that would propel him through politics business and the founding of his university baker often referred to as colonel baker for his service in the mexican-american war never held office but was a celebrated lawyer and public speaker stanford would ultimately be the republican nominee for governor in 1860. but like stanley's election It would ultimately be an uphill battle, particularly given that most of the newspapers that were operated in California were supported by the SHIV establishment. In much the same outcome as Stanley's, Stanford lost dramatically. The SHIV candidate received 62,000 votes, the Democratic Free Soil candidate received 31,000 votes, and Stanford only garnered 10,000. The duel between Broderick and Terry that we mentioned in the previous episode took place right after Stanford's unsuccessful election. The funeral oration was done by our friend Colonel Baker. He wanted to use this particular opportunity to try and connect the two spheres and political worldviews, one of the growing Republican movement and two of Free Soil Democrats, people like David Broderick. Baker's task was to demonstrate that Northern Democrats Were more closely aligned with Republicans than the southern wing of the Democratic Party. His speech was loud, aggressive, and had a lot of vigor and pushed this idea for everyone in attendance. Using these heightened emotions from the murder probably helped create the movement that he needed for this realignment, but in some respects, this was still just the beginning. In our next episode, we're going to meet a few more influential individuals who helped propel the state from the one in which Lincoln would narrowly take by a percent in the 1860 presidential election, to a state in 1864 where Lincoln would win by more than 17 percent. Political change certainly doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. However, large events like the Civil War can also move the needles dramatically. Usually, it's a combination of both political organizing and large-scale events that lead to political change. And next time, we'll explore this transformation in more detail. If you're interested in these topics, I would highly recommend listening to my interview with Glenna Matthews, whose expertise and written work I relied on for this episode. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating or review, or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash history of California. We'll see you next time.